This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. This is our 35th episode. We are on the week of April 26th. I am Chris Skuse. With me, as always, is Emily Allegar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is sustainable practices in agriculture and preserving the land for generations to come. Emily, who are our guests? Thanks, Chris. Today, our guests are Mark Rohrbaugh, owner and operator of Soilbound LLC, a pioneer agency, as well as owner and operator of Green Armor Seeds. We also have Dean James with us, farm manager at Don Cotner Farms. So thank you guys for joining us today. We're really excited to have you both on. So we'll start with Mark. Mark, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your background with our listeners? Sure, Emily. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on here today. I appreciate that. Um, uh, like you mentioned there, we're a pioneer seed agency. I've uh, been doing that for uh, seven years now here in central Pennsylvania. Uh, and along with that, uh, we have Green Armor Siege, which is our cover crop business. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's part of why I'm here today is to talk about cover crops and, and with Earth Day and, and tying those things in and benefiting the environment and, and stewardship of the soil. Um, so with our farm, we have, uh, we farm about a thousand acres along with, the, along with the Pioneer and cover crop sales. Uh, we also have a swine finishing barn. Uh, we have a cow-calf operation and then uh, have, have four great children. Uh, ben, Claire, Nate, and Callie. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, Mark. You have uh, a lot of experience in a lot of realms of agriculture, so we're happy to have you on. But yes, definitely cover crops was one thing that got you pulled onto the podcast. So we're excited to get your input and insight on that. Um, so Dean, we'll hop on over to you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your background for our listeners? Um, yeah, name's Dean James, who worked for Don Cotner Farms. We do 1,300 acres. We've got a, a layer operation. We're pretty well vertically integrated, market our own eggs, make our own feed. We started no-tilling in the early 70s. Prior to that, had uh, contour strips laid out in the late 30s, early 40s, followed by diversions after that, waterways. Um, we've had a couple of, uh, conservation awards here at the farm. Um, we're also a, a century farm. Fifth generation is now running around here at the farm. Um, I've been here working for the family for 37 years now. Um, and the thing that we value the most, and you can tell by the, the conservation work that's been done here and as long as it's been done uh, the soil is the big thing and we want to try to leave it better than we found it. That's awesome we appreciate that and we appreciate you hopping on and again it sounds like you guys have just a wealth of experience and knowledge and a lot of facets of agriculture. So we're excited to see where this conversation takes us today um, and good point out with Earth Day that is something um, that we just celebrated and we're excited to talk about what we're doing in agriculture um, to help benefit the earth. So we will hop on over to Chris here with some odd and unexplained. Yeah, welcome to the guests. This is exciting with Earth Day just happening. Uh, it's good for us to talk about how, in my opinion, 
Um, I think farmers were the first conservationists and were conservationists before it was a, was a quote unquote cool word to say. Um, so it really is great that um, letting everybody know that, that farmers are trying to keep the land and improve the land for generations to come so that their children um, have, have more or better land to profit over the time. So great. Welcome to everybody. But before we get to the main topic, we always start with a section we call odd and unexplained. We asked one of our guests to tell us about something they've seen out in the fields, which is rare or maybe a little bit different than what they've seen in the past. Dean, what have you seen this year that that's a little bit different you have a question about? We've been seeing in our, in our cover crops some small moths flying and then a lot more than we've seen in the past. And we're just kind of concerned about what they are and what they may be doing. We try not to use insecticides if we don't have to. And, but it, it's, it's kind of a question in my mind that something maybe we'll have to do. I don't know if we can figure out what they are, that would be great. Can you describe what they look like? They're a smaller, smaller moth, maybe an inch wide um, from wingtip to wingtip. They kind of hang around in the cover crops and they're, they're like a uh, white, to a light yellow. And the one, one thing that we've noticed on them is they have like two black dots on each wing. That's yeah, how no, well that, I can describe it. No, that's great. So we'll call on all of our listeners here and all of our agronomists that uh, listen to the show. If you know what that moth might be, please don't hesitate to contact us and we will let Dean know what he's dealing with there. We already have some texts sent out to some agronomists in the area. So uh, we'll see if we can come up with anything. But like Chris said, if anybody's listening and you've had the same thing happen or you think you might know what they are, let us know. We'll hope to get the answer for our next episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So moving on to our main topic, um, good stewardship practices that are being implemented in agriculture and being implemented in the Northeast here. So let's start with you, Mark. Um, what does stewardship of the land mean to you? Uh, stewardship to myself uh, is, is taking into consideration not only ourselves and, and the current generation, but generations to come. Uh, it's it's uh, not only uh, utilizing the soil to, to, to create a crop, but also doing whatever we can to improve the soil uh, and leave it in better condition than, than how we found it. Uh, you know, implementing practices that, uh, that take a number of different things into consideration, you know, not just the soil, but also the, the water, um, you know, and, and knowing what different impacts the soil has on our food sources and knowing what, what impact water has on our on our livelihood overall, uh, and and knowing that uh, if we can uh, if we can implement practices that help create a, a healthier soil means healthier water means healthier healthier uh, crops healthier animals and and therefore healthier people. Those are all great points. I really like that, um, Dean. How about you? Do you have anything to add to that? I I kind of think that you know Mark hit on a lot of it, but. The part about leaving things better than we found them for the next generation, 
Um, I think that's that's where we need to be at. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily all about the bottom line, but but the improvements that we can make on things. Good point. Farming is is a long term thing here, and that land that we use this year to make a profit, we have to use again next year, right? So we need to make sure it's uh, it's there and healthy and good. That's that's right. I'm sure we'll dive into some soil stuff today, but yeah, just like every, all of those inputs that you've mentioned, um, especially soil, you know, we, we want to do what we can for it. And um, exactly what you said, moving forward, it's going to be what the next generation's left with and we want to leave them something good. So I remember in school, I feel like every class I had in ag, they'd ask us, what does sustainability mean to you? Like, what's your definition of it? And Everybody had different ones, but it was always came to the conclusion of leaving something uh, better than the way that you found it for, for the generations to come. But um, jumping into that, so as far as practices, you know, we, we talked a little bit about cover crops and um, no-till in the Northeast being really big. So Dean, I wanted to hop on over to you. So I know you, you've mentioned to us that you work uh, with no-till practices and um, on your farm, but also um, and am in the PA No-Till Alliance. So I just wanted to talk with you about no-till and what benefits you see with no-till and sustainability. Um, I, I think there's a lot to it. You know, we hear about the green movement and I think the no-tillers are there, uh, you know, less fuel. Um, we're finding that with no-till, there's been years where the conventional till crops have been drying up because because of the tillage and, and the water evaporation from the soil and the no-till has uh, kept it there. The fuel savings, the time savings, definitely. Um, we're not spending money on equipment, large equipment that we don't need. Um, and that all travels down back down the, the list of things that contribute to the, the green betterment of where we need to be at. Um, but the, the big thing is the less erosion. And the one thing I was thinking about, um, you know, after you guys had asked me to be on here was about where we've come from over the past, oh man, 80 years on this soil erosion thing. I mean, you see old pictures about ditches in the fields and, and uh, there's some videos out there you can watch to see how things are. And we, we tend to go from where we're at now, but we've got to remember where we've been to be able to continue to move forward. You know, we don't want to forget why things are the way they are so that we can remember how to, you know, where to go, how to move forward so we don't repeat things. But the no-till has, has been a big savings for us. Um, and on the no-till alliance, you know, we're just a bunch of farmers and and uh, to try to promote it, to help other folks learn from it, to uh, help them through the, the tough spots. Yeah, no, but, those are great points. I liked your point on, you know, seeing where we came from and where we are now, but also taking in perspective of where we wanna go. Um, I think that, that that was a very good point there. And I like also that you mentioned the, the various, positive effects, you know, of, of choosing to do no-till. So not only are you 
helping soil, but you're saving some time, you're saving some fuel costs. So I think a lot of people, um, or at least myself, I know I take into consideration one thing, but you don't think about all the other things around it, surrounding it that, that um, might have some positive impacts as well. Mark, did you and, have anything? Oh, go ahead, Dean. And, and also, Emily, there's some things that have been happening in the no-till that we had no clue was there, you know, with the mycorrhizae in the soil that we're finding out about now. Um, a lot of things that are just happening, and they talk about all the, uh, um, I'm going to have to have some help here on the terminology, but all the bugs in the soil that are there that the no-till promote. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on there, and, and we're still learning about it. And the no-till is just the start of it. Definitely. Yeah. How long have you been no-tilling there, Dean? Um, we started experimenting. I say we. It was before my time. But in the early 70s, and it was all started from the soil conservation side of things. Um, I remember... <laughs> remember the talking with with Don Sr. and he said you always wanted to do it way back off the road so nobody else saw what you were doing <laughs> and and it's 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 come along and and you know you're always worried about what the neighbors are going to think and they're going to say and so you know you you start in kind of shyly about it and it's been the same with the cover crops I'm sure Mark will will say the same thing but you start out back where you can kind of be sure you got to have a handle on and know what you're doing before you move it forward but here in the northeast i mean you look around and it's it's no-till and there's a lot of green around anymore here here in our neck of the woods and throughout the state and it's it's something you know we travel to these conferences and you get further west out under the flats flat soils and there's fall tillage going on and, and you know, it, it's just a whole different perspective and we kind of like it where we have it now. That's true, especially I feel like Pennsylvania in general, we see a lot of no-till. Um, if my Penn State education serves me correctly or if I'm not misremembering, I think it was something like 80% of Pennsylvania is no-till ground. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it was a, a big percentage that I was sitting there and I was like, that's pretty impressive. Mark, did you have anything uh, as far as no-till that you wanted to add to that? Uh, not, not at the moment. No, I'm actually looking, looking forward to the next question. Well, then we'll <laughs> hop right into that next question. <laughs> so um, going on to our next question, this one we hop on over to Mark. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about cover crops, their benefits, their soil ecosystem, growers. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, been been planting cover crops. So, well, we're a third generation farm now, and have been utilizing cover crops for, you know, as long as the farm has been in, in existence, but not to the scale or scope that we are now. Uh, basically, for the past uh, six years, our concentration has been on cover cropping every single acre every year. Um, so the benefits are tremendous uh, as well. We've experienced from, uh, you know, uh, reducing erosion, uh, conserving moisture through those dry summer months, uh, the reduction of compaction uh, by allowing uh, roots to get down into the soil to to you know, create more oxygen for the next crop, 
the increase of organic matter uh, has been has been tremendous. The 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 cycling of nutrients, um, you know, it, to me that's some of the really interesting things. I th I think here in Pennsylvania, especially, we have a lot of really uh, P and K rich soils, but so many, so much of the time, those nutrients are not available to the crop because they're not in the right form. But we found, you know, species like like buckwheat that you can put a you can put a cover crop out there, a buckwheat, and um, and that the buckwheat helps to mine the P and K in the soil and it changes it over into an available form for you know the for the corn crop for the soybean crop, you know whatever it might be. And uh, the buckwheat is just, it's, it's a really fantastic crop and the fact that it's, uh, you know, blossoming in 30 days. Um, so, you know, we're able to, we're able to have a benefit for our beneficial insects, which is, you know, just another, just another benefit of the cover crops. Uh, we actually, a couple of years ago, we actually grew buckwheat and corn in the same field, uh, was, was just really impressed by how well buckwheat actually suppressed weeds which again is another uh, benefit of the cover crops. And uh, we actually allowed that buckwheat to go all the way to maturity in with our corn crop. And then, uh, you know, ran the, ran the combine through the field and we saw zero difference between where we had allowed that buckwheat to go all the way to maturity and where we where we had actually sprayed it with, uh, you know, with a herbicide uh, and did a side-by-side -side trial. And that to me was really cool that we could actually experience the benefit of the cover crop on so many levels uh, and still pull off the same yield with our corn crop. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And and trying new things and trying different things like that, that's what makes farming so interesting to me and so much fun. We're always trying to evolve, always trying to get better. Um, and things like that, examples are, are fantastic. And I really advocate everybody trying things like that in order to um, see what works best on their operation. Dean, you have experience with cover crops as well. or. How are how are you making out with cover crops? We have gone from using like a straight rye cover crop, just as something to to do the, the the major part of the work. We started out looking to build organic matter, and with the root system that the rye puts on, was really good. Um, I was out scouting some fields this morning and and looking at the covers and thinking about. Um, the amount of moisture that we can gain by rolling the rye down. We farm a lot of shaley soil, we're not river bottom. And, and by having that soil shaded in the summer by the bigger cover crops, we plant green and let them get, get bigger. Um, we've learned that the soil temperature stays down, the evaporation rates stay down. Uh, we've got some neighbors that still farm bare dirt and uh, you notice the dirt, not soil, but they, uh, they still farm bare soil. And ours in a dry weather, our crops are looking good while theirs are rolled up. Um, the, the, the tilth that we've gained with the cover crops, um, with the mixtures, with the legume in, running on, um, these soil health tests that have been run, the Haney test, they're telling us plant more legumes, and we see a benefit there. There's there's something there. There's um, folks that are out there doing some 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 different things, um, trying to incorporate like Mark did with his buckwheat to try to be able to seed something else to grow in with the corn. Um, the early weed suppression 
that we gain from the cover crops has has been great. Uh, mare's tail, everybody gets concerned about mare's tail. Mare's tail does not like competition. Um, we had a, had a field of small grain that had a history of mare's tail in it. And we planted small grain and you know where the mare's tail came up in the summer? Right where the drill went a little bit wide. And so with our rye, we're finding that, that the mare's tail hasn't been an issue for us. Just little benefits along the way. Um, and another thing, we, we've started to raise some of our own cover crop seeds. So that shifted our rotation from being a corn bean rotation to some small grains. And, you know, we were scratching our head about where to put these, but we have some fields that really don't do well because of the shale, the dry, the dry soils. Um, we've shifted our, our uh, small grain production to those fields. And the profit levels on those fields have gone up. And it's all because we just wanted to plant a cover crop and grow seeds. So there are uh, a lot of opportunities out there and, and to just look at things and see the better parts of them. And I guess it's, you know, some folks are gonna look at the glass as half full and look at the bad things. But if you look at the good, there's things out there to be discovered. And I think as far as cover crops go, I think we're just just starting to scratch the surface on what can be done. I mean, um, what what works for other folks won't necessarily work the same on your operations. It's you guys, um, Chris and Mark can probably attest to that, that some guys rely on certain varieties of corn and other folks just, they don't seem to work well there. So it's the same with cover crops and, and how we do our general farming on our farms. Great advice. Try things out until you figure out what works for you. Um, so let's move to this one. Mark, what are some of the obstacles that you're seeing with cover crops and no-tills that maybe you wouldn't see a guy that's been conventional the whole time and he decides, hey, you know what, I do want to try this cover crop and no-till. What are some of the obstacles he's going to see and, and how, how did you guys overcome them? Uh, I think some, some of the obstacles are simply going to be peer pressure, um, maybe even uh, a financial lender and, and their perspective on trying something new. Um, I think ways to overcome that are uh, to, to have a, a peer group. That's something that, uh, that Dean and I actually share together in a peer group. Uh, have just a good group of guys that we can throw, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of. Um, but, but being willing to, to try something new, but to think it through from be beginning to end uh, is, is part of it. Um, but then also just not being afraid to fail. Um, I, well, I, I, and I don't even like to say the word fail because I don't think there is such a thing as failing. I think there's a thing as learning. Um, and you know, when something doesn't go right uh, and you learn from that, and when you can learn from that and make some adjustments, uh, try something a little bit different, tweak something, uh, you know, it, it might go from what looks like an absolute disaster to, uh, to a real success uh, with just, uh, just a matter of a couple changes. But there's, there's definitely things that need to be taken into consideration, uh, the type of equipment that you have, um, you know, even, even with something like we're, you know, we've been talking about cover crops, uh, you know, Dean had mentioned rye there. 
Uh, rye is a great cover crop, but it can be difficult to manage. And that's something that needs to be uh, taken into consideration. So if it's your first year trying to cover crop, maybe not jump right into the rye that, that can be really aggressive, but try something like wheat. You know, wheat is still a really good cover crop. Uh, there's also things out there like triticale, uh, you know, that just just try some of those kind of things. And 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 also try and find somebody because they're, they're definitely out there. Uh, there are definitely folks out there that are doing this. And, and just reach out to them and, and say, hey, you know, what have, what have you seen? What have you done? Uh, what have been your successes and, and what do you recommend? Those are great points. And I like the last one too sticks with me. Don't be afraid to reach out to other people who are doing those practices to learn. I think, you know, our community and agriculture in general is, is very open and, and willing to help. Um, at least that's, that's been my finding coming in. So that's great advice. Um, Dean, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, you know, and, and with the cover crops, if you can do some homework, like Mark says, and, and understand why people advocate for certain things like the, the legumes and certain clovers and, um, you know, are they going to do the job you want them to do? Can Is there a little more research you can do to make things um, the best? So, in, but, but with the cover crops, you can't forget the basics with the no-till. Seed to soil contact, um, that's a big thing. Making sure that your, your planter depth is set where it needs to be. Um, we plant cover crops with a drill and also with our, our planter that's set up with interplants. I mean, we don't wanna be riding around with a 15 foot drill. We have a 40 foot planter, we'll do the same thing. But you got to remember that the drill is seven and a half inches and the planter is 15. And so you're going to have more seeds, more cover crop seeds in that 15 inch row. So you've got to make the adjustment so that the planter will be able to put that seed where it needs to be and close the seed slot. We went from using spader closer wheels, you know, understanding why they were why they were made back to cast, which I said I would never do. But we had to do that to get the seed slots closed. So we can't forget the basics. Now, those are great, all great points. Thank you for sharing those. Um, so I guess another question that came to mind. So we focus so far a lot on no-till cover crops, um, which are two great sustainable practices and stewardship practices, but I know that there's a lot more out there. So wanted to hear from both of you. Um, we'll start with Mark on other practices that you advocate for in respect to stewardship and sustainability that you would suggest to our growers who are listening. Yeah, uh, two different practices that, uh, that I'd like to mention. Uh, first of all, we have, we have some growers in our territory uh, that, are, that are growing vegetables. Uh, you know, either processing beans or potatoes. Um, and one of the practices that uh, I've heard, uh, heard about from different potato growers, not only locally, but, you know, across the country is uh, putting out pollinator, uh, pollinator field borders. Uh, we actually have one grower, uh, Scattered Acres, they, they, uh, they actually plant a pollinator mix at the end of all of their potato fields. So that way, you know, we, we know that uh, potato production can be rather tillage intense as a necessity, but uh, you know, there's some folks that are, that are going above and beyond and actually planting a pollinators, pollinator blend at the end of their fields just to help reduce 
the erosion, uh, you know, keep the beneficial insects at play throughout the summer. Uh, we also have some other growers that are, you know, not just at the ends of the fields, but also along field borders of, of pollinator strips uh, to, to help the environment, to help the beneficial insects. Uh, and those are some things that, that, uh, that, I, that I really appreciate and I think are a tremendous benefit. Um, you know, we have, we have another grower that uh, they're actually uh, planting a cover crop of, um, of a small grain and winter peas ahead of their snapping or their processing bean acres with tremendous benefit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure if anybody's on here that does those kind of things, you know, the concern is harvesting the, the processing beans uh, and having that uh, residue down there, but uh, they've, they've found that it's only been a benefit. Uh, they've been able to tweak their machines to, to handle that residue and uh, have, have, you know, like Dean was talking about there earlier, uh, being able to conserve that moisture throughout the, throughout the growing season, especially with a, a crop like processing beans where they're, they tend to be a lot more sensitive and in a short growing window. And then, then the other thing that uh, we've seen a lot more of uh, that's trending a lot on this on the social media uh, outlets is uh, is relay cropping. Uh, so you know where we're actually taking. You now Dean was talking about uh, uh, using the planter to plant the winter cereals. Uh, we have a lot of guys that are planting uh, wheat or barley uh, with their planter, and then they're coming back in in the spring and using their planters to to plant soybeans in between their wheat rows. Uh, so they're able, to, they're able to pull off two crops in the same growing year. And what I really, really like about that is that, that, you know, that green bridge where you're actually able to keep something green growing uh, for more months of the year. And the longer that we can keep things growing green throughout the growing season is the more that we're benefiting the mycorrhizal fungi in the soil. You know, as long as, as, long as the mycorrhizal fungi have something that they're able to uh to latch on to they're essentially uh the the more productive that they can that that can be uh which of course is a benefit to to each each crop each growing season um so th those are just you know a couple different practices there that uh, that we've seen uh, people trying and seeing a benefit from and and adding profitability so it's you know it's it's great when you can do something that that is uh you know part of stewardship part of sustainability, but also adding to the bottom line. Those are awesome shares. Thanks for sharing those with us because I like the really, the first one that you said, well, both were great, but the first one, one thing that stuck out with, you know, potato growers and, you know, that's tillage intensive and it has to be, and, but they're also doing things um, like planting pollinator uh, flowers there at the end. So even if you know you have to do other practices or you choose to do other practices, there's still things that you can do um, to help toward some sustainability. And, and so that was a really good share. Um, Dean, did you have any other practices that you can think of to advocate for? I, you know, we've been corn and bean rotation for a long time. And we started out uh, raising some barley, you know, to feed our chickens. It's a Hollis barley, but um, that allowed for, for a couple different things that allows to plant cover crops in after the barley and get good growth on them. Um, but I, it just makes me wonder if there's not something um, to be said about different rotations other than just doing corn and beans, you know, and about what that's going to do for the soil and about you know, the, the keeping something growing there, because what does a plant do? Basically, a plant harvests sunshine. 
and and by planting the cover crops, we've got erosion control. We have got the harvest of sunshine basically year round. And, and what that's doing is like Mark had said earlier about converting nutrients in the soil to be more plant available. And so I think we're, we're definitely seeing some benefits there. And especially when you go out there and dig around in the soil, you can see some changes in our, ours here at home. Um, becoming darker. Uh, it's just the NRACS folks are out and, and the one lady works there, she says, oh, your soils are so soft whenever we walk around on them. And she, she's noticed the difference. So I, you know, that's what there is. And, and you know, there's, there's a whole lot of things that work together that we don't understand, but little, little things we're doing here helps, helps. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, no, those are all great points. Uh, we could probably continue to talk about this forever. And I know there's a lot of farmers that are going to be listening to this that are interested in, in trying cover crops or, or trying no-till practices. And uh, one thing, you need to make sure that we all experiment on our farms to all and try to improve uh, and get better. And we, there's no doubt in my mind that, that all farmers I've ever met are, are soil conservationists and are, are trying to make sure that we can leave what we have uh, for the next generation better than we found it. And there's, there's no doubt in my mind everybody's going to do that. And we encourage everybody to experiment with no-till and cover crops in order to be able to do that for soil health. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. This was some great conversation. Next, we'll move on to the section of the podcast that we call the weekly watch out. This is a section where we ask our guests what our growers can be looking out for over the next seven to 14 days. I think, Dean, you had something with that? I think there's a lot to learn. We've, we've started to do some transitioning to organics. Um, the, the farm owners kind of think that there's some things going on. Um, that direction. So we wanted to, to kind of get our, our feet into it just to see what it was. Um, and so in doing so, we've had to learn a lot about how to grow organically, but it, at any rate, but I think there's a lot that everybody needs to learn, learn here yet from each other. There's a lot that we're learning on the organic side and applying to our conventional side of things. If folks can get past the finger pointing, and I'm as guilty as everybody else, you know, here two or three years ago, it was like, you want me to do what? But now we're understanding that there's a lot of this that can cross over. Um, it was at a, at a meeting and, and our Secretary of Ag, Russell Redding, said that when we, when we point fingers at the other side or belittle ag in general, um, one side organic or conventional or however you want to look at it, ag is the loser in general. Um, and we see this all the time, you know, with folks saying that, oh, you have to grow organic or you're, you know, you're not healthy. And the other, everyone else saying that, you know, um, how are you going to feed the world with organic practices? But if, if we can learn together and promote ag and do what we need to do, I think we can all come out ahead. I really do. I think there's something to be said there. Yeah, we and can then, definitely... Then yeah. If 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 not, you know, amongst ourselves as farmers, you know, because we used to travel to the national no-till conference, there'd be a van load of us, eleven or twelve guys, 
And on the way out, you know, everybody would be talking about how the year went and what we were planning to do, to do next year. And the closer you got to home, the quieter it got. Because I don't know if it was a realization you're coming closer to home and we don't want to give up the family secrets or what it was. I always attributed to that. But the fellowship that we had up to that point was really great. And we just need to keep that going. And, and if we experiment on our farm and learn something and pass it along, you know what they say, the, the best mistake to learn from is someone else's. So if we can pass our experiences on, we're better for it, all of us. No, I, you're right. The community of agriculture, we do need to come together better. And sometimes we do feel like we're comp competing with everybody. But you, you brought up the um, Secretary of Agriculture for Pennsylvania and and I'll, I'll never forget when when Secretary Vilsack was was uh, testifying before Congress the first time he was Secretary of Agriculture. One one of them asked him, which one do you like more, organic farmers or conventional farmers? And on, his answer was, that's like asking me which one of my kids I love more. Um, you know, and that that's that's so true. We need to make sure that we um, we need to make sure that we, we keep that in mind is we're all farmers, we're all conservationists, and we're all trying to work together. All right. Thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you have any questions regarding positive stewardship practices, contact your local Pioneer rep and look into the PA No-Till Alliance, Practical Farmers of Iowa, agtalk.com, and in addition to these, Take a moment to look into the National No-Till Conference and the No-Till on the Plains Conference. And be sure to follow Dean on Twitter at FarmerJames10 and follow Mark on TikTok at CornBeefPork. Be sure to tune in next week and search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by future thinking farming. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.